Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, May 5th. 2020. Cinco de Mayo. I hope all of you have some delicious food in honor of today and as always read some fantastic books. So this is Shannon and I am here to share with you an interview with author Amy Jo Burns who is releasing her debut novel entitled Shiner and it's out this week. It is a remarkable book that I am so eager for all of you to pick up and enjoy. And she was just a really fascinating person to sit down and talk with. So I hope you enjoy the interview. But before we go into the interview, I have the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. All right, so let's get on with the interview, and then we can talk about some new books. So here is Amy Jo Burns on the Book Bistro podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. I'm Shannon, and with me today is author Amy Jo Burns, whose novel Shiner is releasing on May 5th. And this is a book that I read over the weekend in preparation for chatting with her today. And it is remarkable. So thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So could we start out by you telling listeners a little bit about Shiner and kind of what they're getting into as they start to read? Sure. Um, So Shiner is the story of Ren Bird a 15-year-old girl who lives a very secluded life with her mother and father. And her father is a man who once got struck by lightning when he was young, and he became became a preacher who takes up serpents. And um, Ren witnesses her dad perform a really weird miracle, and it goes horribly wrong. And because of it, the secrets of her family's past start to unravel. So the book is narrated by three different voices. One, of course, is Ren. The other is a reclusive housewife. And then the third is a lovelorn moonshiner. And those three voices work together to tell the truth behind the story of this man who got struck by lightning and really what happened to his wife. So what was your inspiration for writing this novel? Um, I mean, I think I really wanted to write a book about people who felt forgotten or were hidden in some way. I wanted to write a novel that celebrated the real story behind a kind of legend 
so often those stories are about men and they focus on men. And I wanted to give women their own kind of legends that are that are told from a female perspective. And um, because so often with those legends we hear, there's always a woman behind a man's tale of great faith or great failure. So I just wanted to give people who felt forgotten, both men and women, the chance to speak for themselves. And you certainly did that. Thank um, you. As, as I read, I was just blown away by not only the like, plot line of the novel, which I'm not going to say too much about because I don't want to spoil things for potential readers, sure. but just by your very, very strong ability to create um, a sense of place that felt almost like transportive. Um, my grandmother grew up in the mountains of West Virginia Oh, and, really? I, mm-hmm, and I spent some time there um, when I was a child, like up near Charleston. So mm-hmm. not, um, you know, not deep in the mountains at that point. But it kind of brought me back to some of those you know, times when I was really young mm-hmm. and you know, traveled with my grandparents um, to see her family. And it was just a really, really remarkable experience. You know, um, so I grew up in western Pennsylvania, and I had a very similar experience. Uh, Where I live is about two hours from the Pennsylvania-West Virginia border, and when I was a teenager, I visited West Virginia in the summer, and it is absolutely unforgettable. Um, The mountains, the caves, the creeks, it just gets it gets under your skin in the best way. And I, even back then I didn't know I was going to become a writer, but I wanted to write about it because it's, it's such a unique place. It really is. And it's a place that we don't see a ton in fiction. Like you mm-hmm. see a lot of things in your set, like all over the world, but I don't, I don't see a lot dealing with like, that particular place. Yeah. You know, I actually, it, my writing of it sort of started with me wanting to find something to re- read, oh. you know, that was set in West Virginia, and I and I couldn't really find it, and I was so surprised. Um, so that was, I think, part of what set me down this path as well. So you chose to tell the story in three very distinct voices. So I'm really curious to know what prompted you to tell it in that way, rather than having Ren be sort of our sole um, lens Mm -hmm. to see this world? Well, I think one part of the novel that's sort of an underlying theme is the untold stories that are happening between mother and daughter. So Ren is 15 and her mother, her name is Ruby. There's a lot that goes unsaid in between them. Mm -hmm. And in order to really get that across, I had to reach to the other players who knew Ruby, not as a mom, but knew her first as a young woman to be able to tell some of those stories. And then as the reader gets that background, I think they feel the loss that Ren doesn't know those stories the way other people do. And she doesn't know her mother in the way other people do. Mm Mm-hmm. And I I can agree with that. I think, you know, we all kind of know our mothers simply as our mothers Mm -hmm. and not always as sort of distinct beings of their own, you know, that these people had lives like before we came into the world. Um, And so I thought that was a really powerful message in the story. 
So you have um, some really intense scenes in this yeah. novel. And as I read, I was thinking, like, I wonder how difficult these were to write just because they're, you know, they're heart wrenching to read mm -hmm. about. And so I'm curious to know how that was for you to create these like really, really difficult uh, scenes between characters. Yeah. Um, so to give you just some background about my writing journey, um, the first book I wrote was a memoir. It's titled Cinderland. And um, that gave me a lot of practice in writing difficult scenes and I find that writing is cathartic because it, as you write about something, the process of writing becomes more prevalent than maybe the memory itself. So I think I'd had some good practice sort of working through some difficult memories of my own. Um, mm -hmm. And I, um, so I think in this sense, writing this book, I mean, even the difficult material was such a joy because I think I came to care so much about the characters and um, what I would do when I wrote is every time I would have a difficult section, I would just sort of do it line by line and write a little bit. And then I would put it aside and then go to a scene that was different, that had a, a much different feel. Because I think it helps you as the writer to be able to visit other material. So a lot of the second section of the book, which is um, told from the moonshiner's point of view, his name is Flynn writing that part was such a joy to me and it gave me i think strength to visit some of those tougher passages mm -hmm. um but that i felt were still important to include because i think it's not that mothers don't want to tell their daughters their stories it's that it's hard right sure. and you mm -hmm. you feel you know you're, you're trying to save your child from having their own pain um, and that's something I wanted to get across, too, that there's something selfless sometimes when people keep secrets. It's not a selfish thing. They, they do it for the benefit of others. So you talked about kind of writing, you know, dipping in and out of various scenes just to kind of help you through some of the difficult pieces. Mm -hmm. And I find that really fascinating. You know, as I talk to more and more authors, I realize that everyone's like writing process and writing journey is so different. There's mm -hmm. not like a one size fits all model right. of writing a book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so before you actually sat down to write this, did you know all of the ins and outs of the story? Like, did you know how things were going to end up for all of your characters? No, um, my writing process is so frustratingly messy. Um, oh. It's, I mean, every draft is wildly different from the one that came before. I think usually the only thing I have to start with is a sense of place, which gives me kind of a mood and then maybe a network of characters that care about each other in some way. And that's it. I don't have a plot. I don't know how it's going to end up. Um, oh. And what I, it's and if I could work any other way than that, I would choose it. It is it's bananas. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what ends up happening though um, is that I surprise myself, and if I'm able to surprise myself, then hopefully the reader will be surprised as well. So I think I've had to let myself be a little afraid to jump into the deep end, not knowing. Um, where it's going to end up. And, and that means, unfortunately, I have to throw away a lot of material. It's just part of my process to figure out what needs to stay and what needs to go. And, um, you know, I've been 
reflecting on how I actually put things together. And I think it's a lot like the way that my grandmother used to make patchwork quilts. You kind of have each scene. And what I'll do is I'll kind of work on a scene and make sure I get the mood right. And then I'll go scene by scene by scene. But I don't know what order they go in. I don't know if they're all going to stay. I don't know which is more important than the other. And then once I have all those and you can sort of step back and look at it, you can kind of see the way the patchwork quilt is coming in together into a larger pattern. But you can't see that until you have all those little pieces. So it's a really interesting way to work. It keeps me on my toes, but it's also, it feels risky. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I'm guessing that like the uh, copy and paste feature in your word processor is probably like your best friend as you're editing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I usually start my first draft in a notebook because it will just sort of be a bunch of lines. I don't know what they mean. I don't know what time period I'm in. And then I, at once I have a whole book full, I will reread it and sort of try to see, okay, is there a through line here? And um, is there stuff that is speaking to me that kind of has an energy about it that's different from some of the other material? I mean, it all has value. It's just not all going to be valuable to the reader. So I've got to figure out at some point what is working toward a story that a reader would be able to sit down and understand and gain something from, which takes a long time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, speaking of time, how long did it take you um, to write this novel? Yeah. So I, I, I had the idea almost a decade ago, I would say I'd, I'd heard of these characters in my head and wanted to write about them, but I'd been working on my memoir. And so I would say probably focused writing it took me about four years but in the middle of that four years I had two kids so (laughs) two babies so it was sort of you know there were periods where I was able to work and then I'd have to take a break and then periods Mm -hmm. where I was able to work which is good um if you're able to do it I think because you can approach your material and it become strange to you and you've forgotten what you've written so you can get that experience of reading it for the first time but um, it's also really hard to write when you've got two little ones. So yes, I would imagine <laughs> so. So now um, that your book is almost ready to be in the world, yeah. Um, what are you working on now? Um, right now, I've been working, um, you know, steadily for the last year. It's funny that you asked about my process because. About six months ago, I realized I had written this whole narrative that I just had to throw out. Um, It just wasn't working. Um, So it felt like a loss, but now I'm able to see why it wasn't working. And a lot of it comes from, I need to be able to like delight in the material that I have. And I was working on something that just was not delighting me at all. Mm -hmm. But it ended up helping me find the way to um, a new draft. And so... What I've been working on, you know, since then is um, it's another novel and it's about a meteor that strikes a small town where a famous female folk singer disappeared about 20 years before and how her past starts to intertwine with the life of a young woman who witnesses the meteor hit the ground. So oh. it's, it's similar, you know, to Shiner in that it's interweaving past and present and, and different voices and different histories, but it's fun to... Um, create new characters, have a new landscape, a new plot, that kind of thing. 
We are big fans of dual timeline novels here at Book Bistro. So (laughs) uh, we will definitely be looking forward to this. Thank you. Whenever it appears in the world. I get lots of questions about why I wrote the book that way, why it sort of jumps around in time and uh there's different voices. And um, it's very natural to me. And so when I got that question, I, I was taken aback at first, and then I realized that not everybody processes time that way, and it made me wonder if that might be something particular to the way a, a woman experiences time, that everything that we are living in this moment sort of depends on something from the past, and so I really enjoy trying to figure out how to get that across in fiction. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been working on lately. So I think one of the best things about Shiner is that it does move back and forth in time, but mm-hmm. you spend kind of larger chunks of time with each character. So you're yeah. not jumping, you know, chapter by chapter where you're reading a chapter about this person, then a chapter about this other person, and mm-hmm. then you, know, you go like 20 years back in time. Um, and so I was really able to kind of sink in to each of the stories mm-hmm. that you were okay. telling. And I just, I found it a really rewarding way to read. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong or bad about spending like small chunks of time with characters, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. But it was really nice to say, okay, like this is where I am for a while. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to know like this is where you're going to stay for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And that's, that's great to hear because that's exactly why I liked writing it the way that it's written is that I really enjoyed getting to immerse myself in a certain character's perspective before moving on. Um, I think that made the book really fun to write. So how is it different for you writing novels versus sitting down to write a memoir? Mm-hmm. Um it's night and day for me. I I hear a lot of people say that there's nothing different in, in writing something true and then something that's fiction. But for me, my memoir, Cinderland, was a real reckoning with some really difficult things from my past. And so much of that did feel like I was looking behind me in the rearview mirror. Um, that fiction feels a little bit more like it's opening toward a horizon, that there's so much possibility. Um, and it's still me driving the car. It's just that uh-huh. I'm sort of moving forward with it, whereas so much of memoir is has a loving retrospection to it. Um, so, I mean, I think the risk that I took in writing Cinderland, just to give you some background, it's about a crime that happened in my small town that kind of separated it, and it was kind of a traumatic experience that no one Mm -hmm. talked about after it happened so in in talking about it I was taking I think a huge risk that you can't really compare when you write fiction um so when I switched to writing a novel what I loved about it was that I still got to write about things that mattered deeply to me but I was able to not write about myself anymore I was so sick of myself (laughs) feel so hemmed in by the choices that you made and the things that you regret and the way that you know you wish things had turned out which is all great material to go into a memoir but I was so excited to think about possibility and options and future you know because you can't really do that when you write memoir 
No, and I suppose to offer your characters in some ways, like the ability to make choices in a different way yes. than you, you know, would have, like living your real actual life. Yes, yes, you know, and I think it get, fiction gave me some room to write about people who are so different from me. I mean, my favorite section in Shiner is the one that's written by the moonshiner Flynn because he's nothing like me. And it was so fun to fall in love with this person that I had nothing in common with, you know? Mm-hmm. And be able to bring him to life yes. on the page so that mm-hmm. he feels very real and relatable. Yes, exactly. So before you wrote your memoir, um, were you working kind of in writing in some other way? Or did you kind of take a circuitous path to yeah. the idea of writing books? Um, so I think I, after I graduated from college, I worked in human resources for a while. And I'd always wanted to try to be a writer. So I just said, I'm going to give it a go and see what happens. So I wrote a novel that wasn't very good. <laughs> And uh, I think as everybody does. And yes, um, I didn't know where to go after that because I kind of got the sense that it wasn't good enough to publish. Um, and I wasn't sure what to do next. And I, I got to a moment just in my, I think, personal life where I realized there were some things in my past that if I if I didn't address them head on, whether through writing or through conversations, you know, with my loved ones, that it was something I was always going to be steering around for the rest of my life. And I think for me, if I had that in my personal life, it was going to show up in my writing as well. So I would sit down to write about something that wasn't me and it would just come back to me writing the truth about my memories. So I was as surprised as anyone I when I ended up having all this material that wasn't fiction. So I ended up using it to apply to grad school and I got into a memoir program with a fantastic teacher who taught me everything that's so important about writing a memoir. And then um, that book, Cinderland, felt at first like such a detour from what I wanted to do. But I'm so grateful that it was the first book I wrote because I think it just it gave me a strong foundation for who I want to be and what my point of view is as a writer and then everything else I think is just going to build from that so I'm really thankful that I got to do that first. That's amazing that that could work out for you in a way that feels natural and freeing yeah and and, and good. Know, I think that's the benefit of looking back because at the time I felt like it was a huge failure because I'd had this book I spent so much time on and I couldn't publish it. I didn't know what to do. And I thought, okay, now what? And it's, so I, I felt very low at that point. I remember when I got into graduate school, I couldn't believe it. I just was so shocked because I, I'd been so used to sitting in what I thought was failure, but it, it wasn't, it was just sort of that next stepping stone, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you read a lot, either like while you're writing or in the time when you're not writing? Mm-hmm. So I, if I'm really in the thick of writing or editing a draft, I can't really read anything else because I'm trying to hear a certain kind of voice in my head and get a certain kind of melody. So if I have other voices of other writers in my head, I can't, 
it, it blocks the sound that mm-hmm. I'm trying to get. Um, so what I usually do is when I'm in between projects, as I was last year, you know, I read like crazy, which I love because I love to read. So um, last year I read so many books across so many genres and I loved every minute of it. And then now this year, since I've moved into being more focused on this new project, I'm still reading. It's just at a much slower pace because uh-huh. I'm trying to make sure that this world I'm creating in my head is is kind of more real than the world I'm living in. So I just have to kind of cut some things out. Um, so depending on where I am, I either read a lot or I read very little. Yeah. So have you read anything that you would like to recommend to listeners? I think authors have some of the greatest book recommendations. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, just this year, I, I will say, um, at the beginning of this year, I read Kylie Reed's Such a Fun oh, Age, and that's yes. such a popular book, but I just loved it. It was deep and a page turner, and uh, it made me think about the way I have approached some things in my life, so I just loved it. Yeah, it's um, remarkable. Yes. Um, there's a book that's coming out in a few weeks that I got the chance to read early, and it's called Take Me Apart. It's by Sarah Sliger, um, and it is fantastic. It's kind of a thriller, but it's about um, this famous photographer who dies and this archivist gets to go through all of her material and she kind of gets very sucked up in, in her life, mm. life of her son. And um, it deals with art and mental illness and sexism in such a beautiful way uh, that I just, I didn't want it to end. I, it, was, it was so well done. So those are two off the top of my head that I really enjoyed. <laughs> that will have to be on my radar when it comes out because I am a huge thriller fan, a huge, like I said, kind of dual timeline fan. So yes, oh my goodness, yes. this is for you. It has um, actual documents in the text of the book, oh, and it's yes. I oh yes, oh my, you'll have to let me know what you think of it. I've been recommending it to everyone because I just oh. really enjoyed it. So I think it may, April twenty eighth, April twenty first, something like that. Okay, so out. in the next yeah. little while, because <laughs> as we record, it's yeah. um, April sixth. So I still have a little bit of time. Yes. But have it, you it, ever it, read any of the Fiona Davis novels set um, in New York? I haven't, but I, I, oh. but I need to. Is she a thriller writer? She's not really a thriller writer. She's more sort of the dual timeline historical oh. fiction. And she focuses on various buildings. So, like, there's one called The Dollhouse, which is about the Barbizon Hotel. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to check this out. That's right. Yes. Up. And then um, the masterpiece she did about the art school that was in Grand Central Terminal, mm-hmm. like, in the 1920s. And then she moved kind of to the 70s. And we see, you know, when they wanted to tear down the terminal. Oh. Um, and they're all told in like female voices. So again, it's kind of like the women who are kind of behind like the history of some of these like monuments and places in New York City. Um, she has a book out in July called The Lions of Fifth Avenue that looks like it's going to be about a library. Oh my goodness, that's my favorite place in New York too. The public yes. the lines. Okay, I'm gonna put yes. that in my TBR for sure. Yeah, you should definitely check it out if you um, enjoy kind of the dual timeline historical I do. fiction. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule, especially right now during all of our kind of pandemic um, craziness to sit down and chat with me a bit. And I want to congratulate you just so much on this novel because it is an engrossing, intense read. And I, I loved it so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think it's a real gift to get to talk about books right now because I, yes. I think um, books sustain us so often in dark times. So thank you so much for having me on and chatting with me. You're welcome. Okay. So it's Tuesday, my favorite day of any week. And it's the first Tuesday of the month, which is always a great thing because these are always super big release days. So I have lots of great things to talk with you about. But as always, this is not a comprehensive list. There's just no way that I can talk about all the books that I'm excited about. So this is a list of things that I'm personally excited about, things that one or more of my co beastresses are excited about or things that I think would just generally appeal to the people who listen to Book Bistro. If there are things that you're really interested in and I don't mention them, please let me know because that makes it so much easier for me to curate these lists once I have a better idea of like what people are looking forward to hearing about. So the first several books are books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated books of May episode. So we'll go through these kind of quickly. The most notable release, um, in the sense that it is the biggest and the most surprising, is Jennifer Weiner's Big Summer. This was talked about as being released um, toward the middle of May, and it was moved up to May 5th. And I've read it, it is fantastic. Jennifer Weiner excels at what she does, so I highly recommend it. Stacy talked about this um, on our last episode. Um, a couple of things that Natalia is looking forward to. The Betrothed by Kira Cass and A Good Marriage by Kimberly McCrate. Both of these are out this week, and I am so excited for both of them. I have not read them yet, but I really, really want to. Mika would be very angry with me if I did not talk about her beloved Murderbot book. So Network Effect, Murderbot Diaries, number five by Martha Wells is out as well this week. And Sarah is looking forward to Family for Beginners by Sarah Morgan and Hello Summer by Mary Kay Andrews. I am very excited about the new Gail Godwin book, which is called Old Love Good Girls. And I really, really, really want to read this because she has not had a new book out in such a long time. So these are books that, like I've said, you've heard us talk about before. But now let's talk about some new books. So I used to read a lot of Amanda Quick in my early romance reading days. And I haven't read one of hers in a while, but every so often I get the urge to like pick up an Amanda Quick, and I really need to pay attention to that. So she is releasing this week Close Up, 
which is the fourth book in her Burning Cove series. And these are set in 1930s Hollywood. So this is kind of historical romance. I think they might have a little bit of the paranormal. Some of Amanda Quick's books um, deal with psychics. I'm not sure if these do, but I love Amanda Quick both um, under this pseudonym as well as under her name, um, her actual name, which is Jane Ann Krentz. So this is Close Up and it's Burning Cove, book four by Amanda Quick. We also have Beck McMaster. I adore Beck McMaster. She writes some steampunk, some urban fantasy, some paranormal romance. She's just amazing. And today, the fourth book in her Legend of the Storm series is out, and this is called Storm of Fury. This is a series that I have not read, so I definitely need to go back to book one and check this out, but everything that I've read of hers is fantastic. So this is Storm of Fury, Legend of the Storm, book four, and it's by Beck McMaster. So I am going to make Stacy and Natalia both very happy because I'm talking very briefly about Wrong Turn, Road Tripping, book two by Samantha Chase. And these are contemporary romances. Um, I've not read her books before, but I know that both Stacy and Natalia really enjoy her um, for some kind of angsty romances with a little bit of humor thrown in. So if that sounds like something you would enjoy, then you should check it out. It's Wrong Turn, Road Tripping, book two, and it's by Samantha Chase. How about some twisty psychological thrillers? Yes, yes, yes. So I Owe You by Rona Halsell is out this week. And this is about a woman who wants to save her husband from some kind of mess that he's gotten himself into. Apparently, her boss approaches her with a way out, but it's very unconventional and perhaps illegal. So, of course, the question is, will she go along with what he proposes, or can she find another way to do what she needs to do? This is I Owe You, and it is by Rona Halsell. Um, let's see. We also have a very, very big, buzzy release. Um, this is The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall. And this is a book that I've been hearing about since like the end of last year. So it's gotten a lot of buzz and so many positive reviews. This is young adult fantasy um, set on the high seas with magic and pirates and a little bit of a deeper look into like a world that has been ravaged by colonialism. Um, so it looks like it'll be pretty emotionally intense, but also like very magical and fun. So it's The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea, and it is by Maggie Takuda Hall. This next book is by an author that I've not heard of before, but the synopsis of this book really intrigued me. So this is Brunch and Other Obligations, and it is by Suzanne Nugent. And so it is about three women 
who have brunch together once a month and must continue to do this for a year because of the deathbed wish of one of their mutual friends who is now gone. So I love books about female friendships and kind of the ins and outs of the ways women relate to each other. So I really, really want to check this out. It is Brunch and Other Obligations, and it is by Suzanne Nugent. I'm always on the lookout for new historical fiction, so this next book makes me really excited. This is The Last Blue by Isla Morley, and it's set in the late 1930s in Kentucky. And if you have read The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek, you will know um, about the blue-skinned people of Kentucky. And so this is a book about them, and it kind of talks about identity and history and a little bit about what actually happened to cause people's skin to be tinged with blue. So I am really looking forward to this. It is The Last Blue, and it is by Isla Morley. So next up, we have the latest offering from author Elizabeth Acevedo. This is an author that Natalia really, really enjoys. I have never read her, but I've wanted to for quite a while. So this is Clap When You Land. And one of the very, very cool things about this author's work is that her novels are written in verse. So this is a young adult novel about grief and resilience and two girls who are learning to deal with the deaths of their father and kind of how this grief changes them and affects their future. So it's Clap When You Land, and it is by Elizabeth Acevedo. Next up, we have The House on the Hill. This is by Irina Shapiro. This is an author that I've been meaning to read for quite a while as well. There are so many people's books that I keep meaning to read, and I just never get around to doing it. But this is kind of a gothic thriller, it looks like. So it's about a woman whose husband dies, and she retreats to Cape Cod to kind of deal with her grief and, you know, pick up the pieces of her life. But while she's there, she starts to realize that there's someone else in her house and maybe it's a ghost. So I am not a huge reader of ghosty books, um, but I know that several of my co-hostesses really like them, and I've heard great things about Shapiro's writing. So if you like ghosts more than I do, or at least the possibility of ghosts, then you will probably want to check out The House on the Hill by Irina Shapiro. So Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff are releasing the second book in their Aurora Cycle series, and this is Aurora Burning. They are um, best known for their Illuminae series, um, which I've read the first book of, but I've not, I'm not current with it. But I do want to check out the Aurora Cycle. So the first book was Aurora Rising, and this is Aurora Burning. Aurora Cycle, book two, by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. So last up for me today is The Ghosts of Harvard by Francesca Saratella. 
If you recognize her name, it's because she is the daughter of novelist Lisa Scottolini, and the two of them have written several essay collections together over the past 10 years or so. But this is Saratella's debut solo novel, and it is the story of one young woman who is desperate to come to terms with her brother's suicide. Apparently, her brother had been attending Harvard, started to have a lot of problems, was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and eventually took his own life. So now, our narrator is at Harvard herself, and as she is trying to kind of figure out what really happened to her brother and how she feels about him and mental illness and all these complicated things that she's dealing with, she starts to wonder if possibly she is losing her own grip on reality. So I am really, really eager to read this. Um, I've always been fascinated by mental health and the ways in which mental health affects not only the people who are dealing with mental illness, but their friends, their families, and just kind of the world at large. So this is Ghosts of Harvard, and it is by Francesca Saratella. So that is all I have. There are many, many, many more books out this week. So if I haven't mentioned something that you're pretty excited about, I'm hoping that you'll be able to find it on your own. Um, I hope all of you are safe and well. And, of course, well-read. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.